0: Welcome to Strategy Talk, where the editors of Strategy Page discuss current events with a splash of history. I'm Dan Masterson, host of Strategy Talk. With me today is the editor of Strategy Page, well-known military author and game designer Jim Dunnigan. Also joining us is the associate editor of Strategy Page, columnist and author Austin Bay. Jim, you've been involved in several game designs around the Battle of the Bulge. Yeah, six. Six. (laughs) Yeah. So um, what did you learn about the battle uh, from, or actually, I mean, I've been reading uh, Trevor DuPay's book and he goes, you know, it's a misnomer to call it the Battle of the Bulge that we should actually call it the Ardennes campaign because it was a series of battles. But what did you learn about what happened in the Ardennes in 1944? when you did those games?
1: Well, you know, with each game, I learned something new. And uh, I tried to keep them simple, although I think the the first game was very complicated. I went in there and the map represented every road that was open through the bulge and where the bridges were and what have you. It was a real horror show, you know, putting together. But it made it clear that the French were correct in assuming that the uh, the Germans uh, could not, Reasonably expect to put a major force through. They did have, there were two uh, units that were uh, mobilized in the mobilization plan. I think they were Belgian, but anyway, they were supposed to go in there and man certain key points, you know, and basically slow any Germans down even more, but they got there late. And unbeknownst to the Allies, the Germans had worked out a plan. That's where I got the idea for, you know, making a map that showed every every road, passable road, where the bridges were, what have you. Um, and they had war-gamed it out. And they found out that, yes, it was a near thing, but they could move a major, you know, force, you know, including uh, infantry, infantry and, and mechanized divisions, you know, through and basically come out in the Allied rear, which is precisely what they did, much to the consternation of the French and the Belgians, and, of course, ultimately the British. The... Um, but I learned, as as time went on, as I did more of these games, <laughs> it was like peeling an onion. Um, By the last one, I realized the importance of uh, leadership at each leadership and experience at each level. Uh, in fact, I think the last one we had the call for tie-in purposes. We were doing you know movie deals at that point. the we'll whole call it the Big Red One. And I concentrated on, you know, on uh, on the history as it were of the First Infantry Division. And what I realized that they were one of the most experienced divisions, uh, in uh, American divisions in World War II. And Trevor Dupuy, that's D-U-P-U-I, if you want to look him up. He wrote several books on the quality of uh, American and uh, American divisions from both sides, from the from the Allied side and from the German side. And the Germans, of course, a lot of them were 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 the same picks. But in some cases, the Germans picked divisions that the Americans didn't really consider 1st rape, But the Germans had different criteria, obviously, and they found that yes, yeah, some divisions—this is both in Italy and in in Europe—you um, know—were more effective than the others in terms of you know their combat power and their ability to inflict German casualties on the Germans without losing a lot of their own people. Um, and uh, that led to another game, which really had nothing to do with the Bulge, called NATO Division Commander, <laughs> which, was, which basically focused on the quality of leadership. And uh, the CIA, of all people, later adopted that one as a training exercise for new analysts who did not have any military experience at all. And they found it quite useful. Also, the, uh, the, the division, NATO Division Commander, unlike my Bulge games, was a, uh, was a uh, how should I put it, a hidden game. In other words... Neither side could, could see what was really out there. They could only rely on their own intelligence. And I worked that in there as well. The bulge, of course, was somewhat simpler in, in its, uh, in its uh, uh, composition. It was a classic uh, assault on what was believed to be a uh, enemy you know, weak spot. Uh, the Germans realized uh, towards the end of the war, uh, when they took heavy losses, um, and that the Allies were basically um, had considered the uh, the the Ardennes front a quiet zone where they could move either new units like the 106th uh, Infantry Division, which was brand new, and the 28th, which was a National Guard division, which was quite experienced, but like many American divisions had been chewed up in the Battle of Perkin Forest, which is on the north to the north of the Ardennes area. And, as a consequence, the divisions in the Bulge area that the Germans were uh, confronting uh, were either uh, untrained, inexperienced or, or undermanned and worn out. and the Germans thought they'd be you know a pushover. Well, they were wrong, but that was their mistake. The German generals advised Hitler not to do it because to to get the uh, the correlation of forces, as the Russians called it. Uh, to uh, have any success at the uh, the assault, uh, whose objective was Antwerp, the major port, uh, bringing in Allied supplies, they finally overcome. They had to clear the port, make it make it usable again, and then they were no longer dependent on the Red Ball Express, you know, the uh, <laughs> the trucking route uh, from uh, Normandy, because the railroads we had totally devastated uh, for the uh, for the uh, D-Day offensive, which was very very effective in slowing down the Germans reinforcing it, but it had the unfortunate side effect of making it very difficult to use it uh, once you captured the rail lines and the depots and what have you. Uh, but the Germans realized that if they could get, to get Antwerp, they would, they would basically slow down uh, Allied offensive operations for months, uh, which they didn't realize at the time. If, it were, if they delayed the, their, their defeat too long, uh, we were prepared to drop the atomic bomb on Berlin rather than, you know, um, uh, Japanese targets. Um, the all these were unknowns, but the the uh, the outline of the battle was quite simple. It was a it was just like many other battles in World War II, like the Battle of Kursk, where the Germans were going to break through what they thought was a weak point in the Russian lines. Um, various battles earlier in the war, where the Germans succeeded in finding the weak point, weak point, and exploiting it. Um, and it didn't work at the end of the war because more of the Allied units were experienced. You know, even those units that were sent there to rest um, were were experienced troops. They they wouldn't they wouldn't break under fire. They wouldn't panic, which is what happened to the 106th Division. Uh, they that 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 division lost though two of two of its regiments. Uh, you know, nine thousand troops. You know, out of about you know uh, fourteen thousand. Uh, it, was, it was the worst uh, loss by one division for us in the entire war. In fact, the casualties, <coughs> the, uh, wounded and dead, were higher than any other uh, battle that the uh, Americans fought because it was mainly an American battle. That only about 5-6% of the troops were you know, British. Um, and uh, it was basically won by determined defense in areas the Germans expected to go through and... It was uh, defeated by the Americans realizing the importance of the bridges and rigging them for uh, demolition if the Germans got too close. Obviously, once that once the, the once the uh, bridge was blown, it was useless to either side. Uh, but that was less of a problem because the uh, the uh, the danger to the Germans came from the uh, the uh, American troops advancing from the north and from the south, especially. Now, this is another interesting lesson in command, Um, Patton's Third Army. Now, he was fully committed uh, to being the first to cross the Rhine, Um, and he had pushed further into uh, German territory than anybody else. And the Germans thought, well, you know, that his Third Army, no way they could put a lot of their force against the, uh, you know, the German offensive. But he did what the Germans considered the impossible. Uh, He basically turned front to flank in record time, and his units were the first ones to basically enter the Bastogne and uh, start rolling up the uh, German flanks, which caused the Germans eventually to pull back uh, when they realized that they were being pinched, uh, you know, on the bulge. And uh, they lost. The Germans lost. The, the American losses were 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 replaceable. Uh, one of my uncles was almost put in the 106th Division, but he got a 24-hour delay in, in reporting because— my grandmother took ill, and uh, since he was the oldest, you know, son, uh, he, he would get a twenty-four-hour be there if she passed away while well, she recovered or she got better, and he uh, went in and instead of going to the hundred and sixth as a probably a truck mechanic because that was a uh, m- uh, mechanics was his skill. And he became a maintainer on a, a uh, for P forty-sevens, which were heavily involved in the Battle of the Bulge. Once the weather cleared, uh, the Germans also expected the the. Uh, uh, Typically, bad weather in that time of year, a lot of fog and and oh, cloud overhead, which basically in those days no smart bombs, you had to come in low, slow, and and you know with rockets and and bombs, and even machine guns, uh, to uh, shoot up the enemy. Uh, but that eventually cleared uh, sooner than the Germans expected. They made an attack on some of the forward airfields. My uncle's not among them, and destroyed oh several hundred, four hundred, I think, American aircraft. And uh, but they were quickly replaced. We had plenty of aircraft in, in, in reserve. Not as many troops, um, and uh, uh, the German losses, in effect, were permanent. Uh, the Allied losses were replaceable, even for the uh, infantry and armor divisions. We, we had we had plenty of armored uh, vehicles waiting at the uh, waiting further back, you know, for uh, replacement out had, had uh, for uh, uh, vehicles worn out, and uh, the Germans did not. Uh, so the while the Germans, you know, uh, lost uh, uh, you know about eighty-six uh, thousand casualties, uh, they couldn't replace them. In fact, another problem with the Battle of the Bulge for the Germans was, in order to again to give it that, that chance of uh, succeeding, most of the attacking divisions. Were Panzer divisions most of them the SS Panzer Division, the favorites, as it were, uh, of the uh, the Nazis, the um, the Schutzstaffel, as it were. Uh, they always got the most fanatic, you know, volunteers and the best equipment, and, and uh, they were chewed up big time. And uh, so the Germans were never able to mount uh, much of a, a defense in the east. So it helped the Russians, although they would never admit admitted, uh, because you know they had an easier time uh, blasting the whites of Berlin. Uh, because of the uh, the Germans had no, no uh, reserves, as it were, all the reserves were uh, tied up in this one big gamble uh, to uh, stall the uh, the Allied offensive for months and months because uh, Anthrop through would be wrecked. they couldn't get through by air. they tried v two the ballistic missiles uh, uh, against them, but that was a imperfect weapon as it were. It could hit area targets, but it couldn't pick it couldn't pick out key targets. <clears throat> like ballistic missiles can today. So it was in some ways a modern war, but in other ways it was an uh, older war. In other words, the Germans depended a lot on horses. They had like 50,000 horses, uh, mainly for the infantry divisions and some of the um, supply units. Uh, something people don't realize to this day was World War II. Uh, most of the transportation the Germans used was horse-drawn uh Only the American uh, Army had totally motorized before the war, and the British motorized during the war um uh, they basically uh, as as war well went on and they returned to um the uh the uh, europe uh and uh, they basically got rid of all their horses and they were completely motorized, but they were a much smaller force than the Americans, so that played a role in it in other words, the Germans lost what they could not replace we lost what we could replace um the other thing, of course, was the Germans did not expect the Americans who were in the way, even though they were, you know, some of them, a lot of them were veterans, you know, except for the 106th, uh, the And there was another new division, but not as new and not as uh, ill positioned as, it was. the 106th uh, was, they did somewhat better. But the thing is, the, the total surprise of the initial attack, one of the divisions it fell on uh, was the 106th. Now, that was up north. Uh, which is not as critical, the the, uh, the the center section, you had the 28th and Ar- an armored division, uh, various combat commands in the uh, 9th armored division and more came in. Um, this is something else that was learned from uh, the Battle of the Bulge. Because of that, the, the army eventually adopted the, uh, the uh, combat command uh, brigade uh, uh, organization. Uh, and, and by 1960, uh, during the 50s, they basically had some Kakamami Pentomic Division, but that's another story. Um, but they realized that for a mobile war against a near peer, as we say now, you know, a somewhat modernized uh, op- opponent, uh, you need to be decentralized. You need experienced troops. That led to major reforms in the 70s and 80s when we went all volunteer and we could train the troops up to uh, you know the levels that they would normally only attain in wartime, and we saw that demonstrated in 1991 in the, the Gulf War, where, uh, like especially the Battle of what uh, 16 Easting, um, a, a a non-tank unit basically chewed up a a, a much a superior um, Iraqi uh, armored unit simply because of superior training. And it even surprised some of the uh, commanders. They realized the troops were well trained, but they basically their their fire discipline, uh, their discipline on their fire, many for the first, most for the first time, um, was impressive. Because the Germans, Al and I appeared on a lot of T, uh, TV shows at the time, pushing books and what have you, and they were talking about the Iraqis and the um, and a a battle-hardened de- a desert army. And and we had to point out, which turned out to be true in '91, that they weren't battle hardened; they were basically battle shocked. Uh, they had lost all, you know, uh, interest in getting involved in another major war. Most of the troops were uh, infantry, were Shia, who had to be bribed, as it were, into remaining loyal. Um, we, it was a, it was sort of joked about how uh, Saddam Hussein spent a lot of money, uh, you know, ten twenty thousand dollars, sometimes just a new car. Uh, for the families of every Shia soldier killed, because without that he couldn't get any more. They were draftees, but the last thing Saddam needed was a rebellion by his his Shia majority. Sixty percent of the population were Shia, um, and the other twenty another twenty percent were Kurds, and they were not friendly either. But they were way in the north um, that he could not afford to alienate them, and it was the you know his Arab allies who basically paid for all that. And he repaid them by invading Kuwait to eliminate the debt he owed them. That didn't work, anyway. The uh, we we learned a lot of valuable lessons, which a lot of people don't realize. I mean, they were they were being learned slowly, but they really were put under stress during the Battle of the Bulge. Uh, the Germans were, you know, uh, you know, basically uh, astounded, as it were, uh, by the determined resistance of of even logistics units. Uh, In one case, uh, they they roll down barrels of uh, petrol uh, petrol gas, uh, 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 gasoline uh, with fuses on them, so to speak, to the bottom of the hill where they burn. And then, when the Germans got too close to a fuel depot, they just skedaddled and and left behind some uh, uh, explosives that went boom, and all that fuel went up in the faces of the uh, of the Germans. And the Germans did carry some capture some supplies, and they expected to do that to keep the defensive going. But they were never able to capture enough, and it was all these blown bridges. You know, one bridge after another, bridges which they knew from the uh, 1940 offensive were essential because if, if that bridge was blown, you had to detour to another one, that one got blown up. They could not capture those divisions. They made their only night parachute jump. They couldn't jump during the day because they had no, you know, they had to fly above the clouds and they were, they were, you know, uh, sitting ducks for uh, allied um, fighters, which had air supremacy, not just air superiority uh, by that point in the war. And, um so they they really had no way, even though they had one unit of uh, uh, German troops uh coming through in uh, in American uniforms. Unfortunately, not enough of them spoke how should I put it impeccable American English. <laughs> you know when an American soldier comes through to a checkpoint and they ask they talk to him and he speaks in a British accent, they get a little suspicious and then, if they ask him who's who's gonna who won the last World series uh then you got him. they hands up your your prisoners, and you're going to be shot for uh, fighting out of uniform um, so the Germans had a lot of ideas, which in theory would work and give them an edge, but none of them did. They, the Germans persevered, that's why they took such heavy losses, but they couldn't take Bastogne. They had two airborne divisions in there, which the Germans realized were the elite of the elite, but they said, hey guys, you're surrounded, you got no supplies. Um, and General Nikolov said, nuts, and they had to be translated to I an mean, g- understandable German term, and, and the translation was go to hell, so they understood that. Um, and so they were demoralized. They said, "My God, these Americans, they thought the Americans were basically coasting to a victory because they had all these bombers and all this artillery. and it also I'll go into that. One thing we developed in the 1930s was a mass fire uh, um, technique, which we were the first with. Um, and what it meant was we use our superior communications and uh, organization, and we basically had a system where if if a if a foreign observer you know, call for a they had code names for, it, and uh, for a certain type of fire, and it and quickly bounces up the chain of command. So within you know ten, fifteen minutes, you could have not just you know uh, eight, twelve, or eighteen guns defending that position, but you could have every gun within range, which might amount to you know fifty, sixty, or a hundred guns. You know, firing you know all they all they had, and they usually had a lot. Um, and the, uh, some German super captured thought that was unsupporting, you know, that's not the way you find a war, but they didn't realize how Americans fight wars. Um, so it was a lot of surprises, not really to the German generals. They told Hitler, look, we have a chance of, of slowing down the uh, the uh, Russians who were who basically on their last legs. Uh, that was realized, you know, uh, when the Americans first met the German troops. They noticed a lot of them were Asians. Now the Germans, uh, the Russians, did not like putting Asians into their infantry units because they didn't trust them. And uh, but you know, as the war went on, they had to, uh, you know, in, and a lot of them didn't speak, uh, you know, Russian. It's more they spoke Russian as a second or third language. Um, so you know, it was it was obvious towards the end of the war that the uh, the Russians were running out of resources. Um, but the Germans were even in worse shape because they wasted a lot of theirs, which again, as I said at, at the beginning of this, if they hadn't, if they had managed to slow it down, they would have gotten nuked. Uh, that didn't, that didn't how should I, I think, come to them until after the war when it was all over. Um, and, uh, they were more busy feeling guilty than feeling, you know, uh, pleased as it were that they, uh, they surrendered quickly. Uh, so you know, there was the there was the <laughs> there was the Battle of the boats. It 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 cost us a lot, but it also validated a lot of the lessons uh, learned, as it were, that were eventually uh, in, implemented. Um, uh, Colonel Ray Macedonia and I wrote a book, after in the nineteen eighties, I think it was called Getting It Right, where we basically detailed you know how that process worked. And, uh, oh, one thing that came out of the, the study of the uh, the 1st Infantry Division, one thing they'd learned was you can never have an, too much firepower. And what they had learned to do was when they captured a lot of German weapons and ammunition, if they had enough, they would just repaint our German howitzers. The Germans had a lot of these infantry howitzers, which were meant for, you know, they, had, uh, they were better defended. They had more defenses on, on the front, as it were. And uh, they were uh, had sights basically firing direct fire directly, you know, at a target the crew could see, and um, they had dozens of these, and they just repainted. Most Americans thought, "Oh, that's something novel. When did we invent that?" And um, uh, they would they would capture vehicles, you know, if they were usable, um, and so when they rolled in, they rolled in, you know, looking like you know an odd army, as it were, but they were the most combat effective. More importantly, the staffs of the 1st Infantry, as well as Patton's 3rd Army. Now Patton was another story story that most people don't realize. He was an excellent staff officer. Uh, There was a a 3rd Army after action report, a huge volume. Uh, You won't find too many copies, but I directed a lot of people in the Army to the ones up at the Army uh, Research Library at Carlisle and various other uh, libraries, and a lot of troops were amazed because um, Patton basically got the best people he could, staff people he could. His intelligence was as quicker and more accurate. His staff planning, he had alternative plans for doing what the Germans thought he could not do was turn an entire most the, the most of an entire army around in record time in, in a in, in a couple of weeks and advance in another direction. Even the Germans thought that was very, you know, unlikely. But they didn't realize that German uh, Patton was, you know, of German ancestry, and he was one of our German generals. Uh, some of our best generals actually were were Germans. So in fact, you know, the joke was at the end of the war was the Germans didn't realize that we had more Germans, loyal Germans, or, or Germans willing to fight for their country than the Germans did, because the Germans still had a lot of Germans who really didn't want to get involved in another war after World War One. But that was another story that was lost, you know, until long after the war. Uh, people, you know, uh, became aware of that in both United States and in Germany. Um, but the, the lessons the American army learned about what worked and what didn't work, not just in battle, but under the pressure of a, uh, you know, a, a, a superior force, um, you know, could be incorporated into a peacetime army. And so we basically developed an army can, you know, uh, win the first battle. Which American armies, you know, in the past, uh, you know, had a very difficult time doing because, uh, from the beginning of you know American wars, the American civil the revolution and up through you know the Civil War and uh, beyond, uh, most of the officers and troops uh, who were at the war in the war at full when it was at full strength uh, were were former civilians. Uh, some of them had been in the National Guard, uh, the, the guard units which got minimal training. Uh, some of them were veterans of past wars who were brought back in, but the vast majority, even in the Russian army, um, uh, were basically, uh, you know, managers and uh, you know, had, uh, running direct collective farms or what have you. They were all conscripted, and so a lot of your your division, and regimental and battalion commanders uh, were these guys who were basically civilians uh, before the uh, the Germans attacked, and they had to go in. So uh, you know the Germans already knew that the Germans basically uh, developed a system where they could train troops who could basically win. Uh, you know their first battle, which they did. Um, uh, we had a there was a thing I was invited to down in uh, nineteen eighty-two, I think it was, uh, where they brought in two Wehrmacht generals uh, to discuss. You know what we could learn from them, and that's one thing that came out that the 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 Germans basically had. You know better trained officers and troops. Uh, than anybody else, including the Allies, and um, and uh, they basically developed new tactics faster than the Allies. They, they did it in World War One, and they continued doing it in World War Two. but as the wars went on, the talent, the experience, and talent gap closed, and by the end of the war, you had American tank units, for example, there were several notable you know, battles. Where an experienced American tank uh, regiment would defeat a um, a, a German brigade, uh, uh, you know, armed with uh, equipped with you know uh, better tanks, you know, Panthers and even the, the later Mark IVs were better than the uh, the Shermans. But uh, our troops had experience. Uh, they basically survived a lot of battles. They had better tactics and knew how to carry them out and we basically walked all over the Germans. That came as a surprise to a lot of American officers, security generals who had not really really keeping track of that sort of thing. But by the end of the war by the bulge um you know people like Patton and uh, well, even Eisenhower realized that um that uh, you know this was our advantage uh, now. We didn't boast about it uh, because it was like a secret weapon. Uh, Hitler was slow to catch on but it's a lot of his uh, you know junior officers weren't and oh one last uh, you know uh, lesson learned the Germans realized didn't they didn't they never figured out that we were reading their codes their enigma you know uh, uh, encryption and but they did realize that uh, if they if they broadcast if they basically sent any messages involving their their Ardennes offensive you know wirelessly uh, or even by telephone uh the allies might catch wind of what was going on, so all the uh the orders, as it were, were hand delivered, and, and none of the couriers were captured. you know, they made sure of that and um uh so they were they were pretty secret, but even with that, you know, we were sometimes criticized for not expecting the offensive, but you know, like what happened in Korea later on, there were signs. That the Germans were planning something because they were—they were the troops at the front were reporting a lot of noise. Of, you know, tanks make a certain noise. You can't mistake. It's not a bulldozer. It's a tank. And a lot of the experienced troops at the front says, "Look, we're hearing German tanks, but we're not seeing them." You know, and as the winter, as the weather got colder and it was quiet at night, you know, silent night, as it were. Um, uh, Troops sitting up there, they say, "Did you didn't hear that?" And they say, "Yes." There's tanks out there, and they get they reported it up the line to intelligence. And a lot of intelligence officers were saying, "Look, the, the crowd disrupted up to something," uh, but nobody seriously thought. Now, this is this is an interesting point. The highest intelligence levels of intelligence analyzed all this information, and they said, "Well, you know, they might launch a spoiling attack, you know, a disruptive attack." But they would. They haven't got the resources. They wouldn't waste the resources that they have remaining. We had a pretty good idea of that, um, because you know they they couldn't replace them. Well, that was the logical assumption. Hitler was not logical, so you have to you always have to take into account the possibility of an illogical, you know, enemy commander, which uh, it often shows up, not always. Uh, but that was especially true during uh, World War Two, and. People in in the West didn't, uh, you know, commanders in the West didn't realize the extent to which um, Hitler uh, would intervene and and make key decisions in the deployment and uh, you know the uh, the the uh, the tactics to be used by his own troops, Uh, mostly his strategic decisions. If he had withdrawn uh, deliberately in the east, he could have chewed up the Russians even more. And delayed it, but again, you know, they didn't know about the a bomb. So Hitler, in effect, you know, saved Berlin from getting nuked. Now, there's a story. There's a, there's a story that'll never get told in a book or whatever, but it's true. Um, but in the bulge, uh, you know, our intelligence analysts were correct, as were the guys at the front line hearing all those tanks rattling in the background. It was not a spoiling attack. It was, a, you know, it was a major offensive. Uh, employing, I think, more more tank divisions than infantry divisions, and the infantry divisions that were used, uh, I think none of them were experienced. They were all new uh, divisions, uh, which were built from scratch, or divisions which had already been uh, raised earlier—not too much earlier—but then been destroyed in the uh, in the race, you know, to reach Germany from the Normandy front, and uh, they basically put a lot of. Uh, people into those divisions who had very little training. And more importantly, they had, they had such heavy officer casualties uh, that they couldn't replace all of those. So they would realized they couldn't depend on those infantry units except the follow-up and mop-up. Uh, but a lot of these infantry units were the ones who were basically uh, uh, surrounding the uh, one side of the bulge and uh, the best they could do was hold the line. And when the counteroffensive game, they melted away from casualties, if not from, you know, just being forced to retreat because otherwise they were going to get you know destroyed entirely. So lessons of the bulge.
0: Yeah. Now, <clears throat> Austin, you've played one of Jim's uh, bulge games a little bit. I, I want to talk just a little bit about it before you uh, make some comments. Uh, decision. Well, I've Game- actually
2: played all of Jim's uh, Oh, okay. uh, all of them at some time or the other. But
0: yeah, right.
2: I'll, I'll I'll talk about bulge because <clears throat> it's useful. Uh, I, I didn't mean it right
0: then. One of the things is is decision games has uh, reissued bulge just within the last uh, month or two months, and the interesting thing is that uh, I have a copy of the old version, and I pulled up a copy of the new version rules and unlike a lot of other things that decision games when they reissue jim's games they tinker with them somewhat uh this one they left completely alone the rule set is exactly the same i'm sure they cleaned it up if there were you know any misspellings or like that but uh it looks like you know they they just reissued this one as it is so they saw that something good and they, and it didn't need any improvement, at least in uh, their eyes. And I, I think that's true. It did not need any improvement. Um, but one of the things in the rules in uh, Jim's designer notes at the end, he says, and this leads into what you're going to talk about. He, uh, he says, there are two critical rules in the game that if misunderstood or not used properly will cause a player to lose the game. These rules are allied bridge interdiction and road and mechanized movement. So, what what do you have to say about the bridge interdiction?
2: <clears throat> okay, I, uh, j- just to, to tell our uh, listeners a little background on this. For fifteen years, I taught a uh, as an adjunct prof at the University of Texas and its Plan II Honors Program. I taught a uh, once a week, three hour seminar that was basically uh, a uh, A military history class where I concentrated on uh, understanding uh, uh, strategic situations and also developing plans. Now that sounds boring, but really what it was, strategy and strategic theory, Sun Tzu to uh, von Clausewitz, I think was one of the uh, titles uh, titles of it. (laughs) But I would have halfway uh, through the semester, usually about the time of semester break, I'd have uh, the students uh, play Jim's Bulge game. Now, the way I describe that particular game is it's elegant, and I'm not using just a fancy word. It captures so many complexities well, and it's rather simple and playable. It really only has like five and a half pages of of rules, which, you know, for old uh, SPI type uh, war games, uh, that's that's not much. but i'd have the the department ran off extra copies of rules and i had uh colored uh, copied colored maps and, and and the like and really i wanted the uh, students also to just kind of attack the game and see how a simulation is put together because this is just paper dolls little pieces of paper moving around on, on paper it's not real but then i also talk to them about all right Treating it as a, as if it's a big matrix, which is really the way you can construct a uh, a historical simulation like uh, like bulge. one of the matrices would be terrain, but that's a complex matrix itself, and you would look at the map the bulge map really was extremely well done um, and you could have a town in woods, woods. That was also uh, uh, rugged, and you could have rivers running around, and you might have a bridge. So, right there is a, it represents something very complicated, particularly for a mechanized wheeled unit, because it's gonna be road bound if it's caught in close terrain, and close terrain can be uh, rugged terrain mountains, mountainous, thick forest, and a city is close to rain. Cities are, and I, I'm a tanker, cities are dangerous places for tanks, unless you have infantry covering you. Now, then they, then the, the tank becomes an extremely, <coughs> excuse me, useful tool for the infantry, so they don't have to get, be exposed uh, to uh, the to, to, to snipers. You have to, you know, definitely fight as a, as a tank mech team or a tank inf- tank infantry team in a the closed terrain of a city but let's go back to one of those hexes on the bulge bulge map and i'll pick out one because i think one of them i'm gonna i've got a little list here of what I, i've learned out of various bulge games as well as uh, reading forever i think i dan i think i read my first story about the battle of the bulge when i was seven in a uh, paperback that my dad got me. And I was, and I just, plus I'm watching on the the big picture in the 20th century, you know, black and white television, uh, uh, film from, uh, from the bulge. So anyway, I, 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 we've got this complex piece of, uh, uh, piece of terrain and trois pawns, three bridges, which is where the 82nd ended up interesting place for an elite airborne infantry division to take up uh, a, a battle position and a right on the nose of task force peeper's attempted breakthrough uh in the north and that's uh peeper yokum peeper was leading the the uh, primary uh, assault task force it was out of first ss panzer wasn't it jim i'm sure i, I don't know it was it was and I tried to break through yeah. the yeah and um right on his uh, right on his nose as he's already running out of uh, out of gas and you take a look at the map the uh, the bulge map and you'll see you'll see bridges there but you'll also essentially see a peninsula defined by river going around uh, a, a built up area and lots of woods uh, ultimately, in in the in the uh, in the battle, and I mean, this is something that that I, you know, you you learn by reading the histories, uh, and even looking at the terrain, because I've been I've been to, to Trois Pont, is that uh, what's left of Task Force people tries to pivot and go around Trois Pont as, and he's also he's running out of uh, he's running out of fuel, and the weather's changed, and uh, the uh, uh allied uh, uh aircraft are back up the P47s are tearing up not just the german armor but shooting up all the german supplies uh and the uh the uh, truck uh, logistical trail going <clears throat> going back uh into germany so that's one thing that that the bulge game does very well is its map and it's again, elegant, simple, and now you see why a airborne infantry division can go whole up in there and it might get hit by in the game, possibly a couple of those monstrous SS uh, Panzer divisions and still not be able to move it out and the way, the way the rules are set up too it's it's uh <coughs> having uh, just a, it's, it's a combat differential. You know, a seven-four that that three uh, uh, power difference, if you're just in clear terrain, can be extra extraordinary, uh, but not with all the defensive advantages that uh, uh, infantry, in particular, would get in the kind of complicated terrain that uh, uh, that I described. <laughs> the whole thing about the Ardennes is that that kind of complicated terrain is all the way up and down and, and, and through it. And as, as Jim said, when he was uh, talking about uh, the 1940 campaign, the uh, Germans devoted a lot of staff time and intelligence time to figuring out how to to bring heavy divisions through there. Uh, 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 you can do it, but even, and now I'm gonna get, let's, it is such a next to impossible to do thing, particularly with even the thin force mix and it's comparatively force that it exists in this US sector on December 16th, 1944. Now, I wanna go back to something else that you see. This comes out of, it's well uh, presented, but you have to understand the rules in bulge. The Germans have a huge first turn advantage. But they've got to get through the Loshin Gap where the 14th uh, uh, Cavalry is and uh, bust bust, at least uh, to, if you're going to uh, break through and get an, uh, get an early, uh, early victory, uh, the Elsonborn Ridge, which is on the northern uh, flank, the northern flank. Now, I'm going to move from, you can do it jim and i played bulge once when i was still living in new york we would get together we must have done it four or five times where we'd play bulge on december the 16th just for fun and usually <laughs> the us won. one time i was playing the germans and uh, i it, it was unbelievable everything went perfectly with all the die rolls and uh, a panzer division exited off the uh, north side of the of the uh, 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 of the map, I, at the it really of turn one, uh, never seen that happen before, and so Jim and I just quit right there and and and, la- and laughed about it. It can happen, <clears throat> totally unlikely, but that is in some ways the ger- would have been the German fantasy outcome, and what happened is is that 14th Armored Cav was uh, uh, was obliterated, and uh, on the German mechanized movement with nothing in behind it, across the, what was the Orr River, I guess, and then and, and and goes north. Now, that's at a highly aggregated level. It doesn't represent what really happened. Now, I'm going to talk about two little battles that were slowed up, the 1st the SS Panzer and its supporting units, the Volksgrenadier uh, d- uh, Division, supporting it. They were supposed to bust down that road, Destroy 14th uh, Cav and then knock 99th uh, Infantry Division. And I, Jim, I think that's the other green division you were thinking of as 106th when you were uh, talking talking about that. Because the 99th had not too long before uh, the 106th uh, replaced uh, 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 moved in had replaced. I think it was 9th Infantry.
0: I, second. I, I, I think. Oh yeah, Ninth Infantry. They yeah. were supporting Second Infantry into the Hurtigan.
2: Okay, but they—that's so, they, they, right. But the thing is, is the 99th was up there, and then one of the most amazing uh, <coughs> events in in World War Two occurs: the uh, intelligence and recon platoon from I forget which of the regiments. It's you know, the 364th or something like that. Um, forgive me, guys. It was one of the greatest. <laughs> Last stands, 18 men stopped a uh, reinforced elite German uh, battalion all day. And they were right on the road that Pieper was going to break through. And there is, in one of the German histories I I read, Pieper actually goes to a a headquarters and he's angry and he's screaming about what has stopped, what has stopped us. And one of the German officers in there said, we thought there was nothing there, but there's a regiment dug in. No, it was just 18 men, one killed, everybody else wounded, and they all got captured. But uh, that threw the entire German uh, plan in the north, and the main, main uh, the main breakthrough with their their elite lead unit off by a day, and that's that was the reality. The Germans had so much. Combat power there that they maybe they could have rolled and pulled off you know that what happened in a you know a, a game Jim and I were playing in New York but there were there were the fourteenth Cav two of its uh i forget which uh squadron was uh, uh, deployed uh, in in the gap two of its uh troops and they were just light armored vehicles and jeeps with machine guns held up the initial german advance and some of them even managed to escape and then the, uh, the lazarath ridge the that stopped that attack in a time for the rest of the 99th to dig in and the 99th never got moved off there was some shifting for the rest of the uh, rest of the battle but the northern shoulder of the of, of the bulge it was kind of, it was like a stake s t a k e in the uh, upper uh, you know on a Right arm of the uh, uh, of the German advance, uh, maybe a mixed metaphor, but you get the uh, get the point uh, I, I'm 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 trying to make. All the others, this is Ultimately, it shifted the German attack to the south, which is why they're going through Bastogne and then sharp moves. By uh, Jim was talking about our German generals. You mean like Eisenhower or Admiral Nimitz? Isn't that a good one? Albert Wiedemeyer uh, ends up replacing. Uh, General Stilwell as a commander in China, so that's three German-sounding names. Yeah, they're all they had had German ancestry. But um, <clears throat> the as they 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 shift to the south, one of the early decisions that was that uh, Ike's team made in uh, up in Spa, which is where his headquarters was, is that they were going to take the two airborne divisions, which. We're resting. Remember, they'd still gotten shot up in in, uh, in Market Garden in in September, which were they were essentially strategic reserve, and going to deploy them to key places to stop this uh, attempted German breakthrough. And the 101st goes to Bastogne, and, and I already mentioned Trois Ponts. What that uh, what that did? 82nd's there, also coming down. First Infantry Division, Jim. Uh, was t- talking about how uh, how savvy that outfit was. It was also considered by some other people in the in American forces, not just the Army, to be a rogue or, or pirate unit because of their... Uh, <clears throat> when their Terry Allen was their original commander and Theodore Roosevelt Jr., their deputy commander, they uh, got in a lot of fights and Terry Allen got, re- got relieved. But, but the unit was... Uh, uh, Terry L. and T.R. Jr. Uh, uh, unit, they had their own, uh, a real identity, a real uh, 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 esprit. Something else I would add to what Jim was saying about picking up weapons. This started happening. The first ID did it. A third ID was doing it. Also, a lot of guys in Italy were picking, picking this up as well. Finding... Uh, more automatic weapons than were authorized, uh, because the Germans have got their MG42s, which can really lay down lead and, and suppress you. But uh, I'm sorry, we're not just going to have two BARs per 12-man squad. We'll have three or four, and a couple of uh, a couple of Tommy guns, uh, and we're going to find more uh, machine guns than authorized for the company. They would pick up more uh, 30 calibers. Uh, and, and they really liked it. The, the, the A4 version is the standard one on the tripod, but they really liked that little A6 because you could get it into action uh, quicker than uh, than the uh, tripod. So the experienced American divisions suddenly some of them, and actually Al uh, Nofi did a study of this. This is uh, it. It brought home some things I'd read. He really it was a good a simulative study. Some of them were at 110 percent strength in terms of weapons. Another prized weapon, if you could pick one up, was a quad 50 on a, on a, on a uh, half track. And they're not, you know, they're supposed to be anti-aircraft units. Will you tell me that some even leg infantry unit that manages to get a hold of one that they're going to want to give that up because they're not. Because you're talking about something that puts out lead and just erases uh, a, 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 a infantry assault. Even one uh, that's supported by light armor—it's uh, a, a quad 50 on a track. And Jim was mentioning—I think you know, the the small German 75 millimeter. Those were little mountain howitzers. At least they call call them that. A lot of them holdovers from World War II. Pretty effective weapon. Uh, but first ID wasn't the only uh, uh, American outfit that would pick up something like that because suddenly you've got uh, you know your own artillery right there with you. Now I'm after laying that out a lot of these things are are you you don't see them if you just read bulge but they're all elements of these are into the way uh jim uh, designed that particular particular game now i'm going to move to the uh bridge rule which fascinating that uh if you don't know <laughs> you, you don't understand how that works but i'll show you what it means jim was talking about um America developing uh, advanced artillery tactics in the thirties. It starts really in the late nineteen twenties with a group of captains and majors at Fort Sill, Oklahoma, which is the artillery school, and they start taking uh, using radios to change fire direction, uh, 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 fire direction on-call fire direction. One of the problems out of World War One is everybody's relying on a radio or hand signals, and you can't see anything. And I mean, not on radio, running on telephones, and the enemy barrage rips the wire apart. So they were going to use radios. They develop a, a a system, which is really a a, a fire a call for fire uh, a call for fire system, and where somebody can be a forward observer and somebody's back at a well, I don't remember the original name. They had something, but it's a F- FDC, Fire Direction Center, that can coordinate uh, the, uh, uh, the, the guns that are to the rear. And essentially, it is moving fires. Think of it as moving mass fires across the battlefield. If you think Blitzkrieg is maneuver on this, well, they, these artillery officers are developing a way to maneuver fire using, uh, 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 using a radio. And then using observers even uh, in, uh, in the air on an airplane with a, uh, with a radio. By the mid 1930s, they've developed a system and they did all this, you know, this is analog uh, computing where you can have, as, as Jim was saying, guns spread out all, all over the area. But because they're all connected by uh, radio, then they know where they are is that they developed a firing schedule very tight one so that they could fire their rounds and all the rounds would land simultaneously or near simultaneously on a selected target It would give in other words just one forward observer the ability to uh oh let's say if you've got five battalions at 18 guns uh, 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 a battalion uh, you've got 108 guns uh, over 100 guns that you can bring in as long as as long as they're in range, and wham, you catch them by surprise. It's long range. Think of it as long range mass uh, uh, snipe, uh, sniping, and then you can keep pouring it on them if it's if it's uh, on the on the target if the the target is uh, worth the expenditure of ammunition. The the name for this and the name actually seems to come out of the Mediterranean, either late late forty two. Maybe 1940, probably 43, because uh, Truscott, uh, Lucent Truscott, mentions it. It's time on target, TOT. Uh, that apparently was just a quip, and now, of course, that's the term, the term for this kind of massed, uh, massed fire attack. You can do it once you have perfected the system and trained the artillerymen and have have the fire direction center operating you have all the firing tables and you have the 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 forward observers it's 24 hours doesn't matter what the weather is and the rule that jim has in bulge as as long as there is an american unit within three hexes of a bridge that can be interdicted even though it's not on top of the bridge now, what it's representing really is the ability for of American artillery firepower to uh, destroy thin-skinned vehicles, trucks, or horses. Because Jim was mentioning how horses were still very, very important to uh, German logistics, and therefore cut their supply chain. Doesn't kill uh, uh, a German unit at that range, but it. Hurt harms the combat power of German uh, units that are depending on that bridge for supply, and it is it's it, part of it is is the uh, uh, fire direction control system U S ability to move in mass uh, mass fires doesn't just go in one place. They're not the guns can just you know, swivel and they can hit a target to the south and then they can hit a target to the north and then one uh, facing to the east. And it is that's when I when I say use the term e- elegant it's it is important and it represents a tactical a very advanced tactical and operational technique that the u s was uh, we were leaders in it it was part of our combat system uh, and sometimes using the word system is 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 is, is misleading but there's a interesting uh essay written by a a young uh officer i worked with uh when i was on duty in iraq i even had him come by and 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 lecture my class one time on it he was getting his phd uh, at harvard in and uh military history even though he was still at hood he was you know finish finishing his 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 doctorate and he says Uh, To to, to my students, he says, you you need to think of this because the Germans certainly had better tanks, Tiger 1s, Tiger 2s, uh, Panthers, uh, and the like. But they didn't have a better system because of our ability to control fires and also some of the things that that, that we knew how to do by 1944 and and France 1944 and Germany uh 1944 plus when the weather clears up here come the p-47s and uh, uh there's there goes there goes your rear area because we just had as jim said it was air supremacy and it was uh, you know one of the things that even made the bulge possible is that they had six seven days of bad weather before the uh sky cleared and suddenly here come the not just the fighter bombers but also the c-47s who can drop supplies to surrounded uh, allied units uh, we could resupply and uh, they Germans still at Luftwaffe managed to fly some harassment raids but uh, or but it was it was harassment they uh, they were it was a defeated air a defeated air Force and now you you see it by really by day six uh, 22nd of of, of December, and that's before um, uh, Bastogne is, is uh, relieved on the 26th by 4th Armored Division. Uh, Creighton Abrams and uh, Combat Command R, 4th Armored Division, busting through. Uh, uh, it, was, it was a small break, but <laughs> it was a break. Uh, it's, uh, it's certainly over by then, even though the battle goes on until the, uh, as the Germans withdraw until the end of uh, uh latter part uh, uh, of january and as you pointed out dan it really is several battles because the north wind the germans are launching another attack down uh to the to the south that was supposed to catch us in the <clears throat> and and really didn't though but it was a very bitter battle uh and and, and extremely cold weather so yeah. i i think i've i think i've talked through that but that that's i'm glad to, to know they didn't touch the rule structure of, of bulge it really if i sound like i've studied it heck i played heck out of it but it does a good job from a historian's uh, point of view and really from uh, uh i am think a of history of, of of military operations historian of that it does a very good job of of simulating it
0: yeah and it's good if if you're not in haven't entered war games uh you know go up to decision games and order a copy of bulge because it's a very good introductory game like you said it uh, only has a few pages of rules actually a lot of jim's uh, really good games are that way is that he's able to pack a whole bunch of stuff into a minimal set of rules and simulate things and so you know i'm just amazed as i go back and look at his games um and look at the rule sets and like that i go wow you know uh, this is known as a super game and it has so many fewer rules than the games that are being published today. Some of the games being published today, I think they've forgotten the elegance that you can do in a design without overloading it with a lot of Chrome.
2: Can I, so, can I toss, look, I know I've been on this and it's, it, it, Jim knows I really admire, admire the game, but I want to make other one other comment too on, on some of the, uh, changes, quote-unquote, or the improvements in American uh, military preparation. One of the things I absolutely hated when I was in the 11th Armored Cav in Germany was staying in the woods in the snow for days on end, and then when I was in 1st Infantry Division, same uh, same thing. But the reason we were doing that, and bulge would come up, boy, this must be like the Battle of the Bulge, you're in, the, in some... and. Don't think it's like Après Ski in the in the Rockies. You know, let's go in and, and drink uh, some warm uh, a, a warm cup of coffee. No, you're out there five, six, eight, eleven days at a crack, living in the snow and out of your armored vehicles. And you're also on restrictions on how much diesel you can burn, so you can't use your heater uh, 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 all the time. And you're maneuvering, and you're tired, and you're you're up for twenty. Tw- I remember one stretch. Yeah, we did it almost like back-to-back uh, 24, 30-hour uh, exercises, but there the, there was a reason for doing it. You're going to get inured to the coal, know how to handle it and survive, uh, survive it if the Russians attack us in winter and pull a, a bulge and, and you know, think we can't get air support here, and you're going to, we're, we're going to do it. We're not going to get caught and lose everybody to trench foot. and again here I should talk about how I still hate I hate the feel of that cold but I also know why we did it and in in the back of everybody's minds out there is look what happened in December 1944 uh all right and that's the kind of the training Jim was talking about that comes out of the 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 reformation that uh, he and Ray Macedonia were writing about and, and what uh, uh Gordon Sullivan uh, 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 really was a point man uh, in, in that kind of rebuilding the army after uh, after Vietnam. Hard hard tra- hard realistic training. So
0: yep. So one of the things we we didn't get into much was uh, the other part of the uh, campaign that most people know about, which is Bastogne. Um, Jim did a game specifically on Bastogne and it might be good to come and talk about that one of these times uh thank you guys for being here and thank you for all the information you give our listeners and i and uh, we'll see you uh next time take next care guys bye